Yes, we have liftoff. Wonderful. Well, today for our Judges on Fire podcast, which is our inaugural one, um, we have Stephen Foskett from Tech Field Day. So um, welcome, Stephen. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. You know, I've been talking to you about uh, doing uh, Tech Trailblazer judging for a very long time. Um, And um, it was great catching up with you and learning more about the program. And I'm very much looking forward to working with you on it. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to working with you too. And I suppose we have to say just a little something about the last time we saw each other was at RSA in San Francisco back in February. And obviously things were just starting to get um, challenging for everybody. And yeah, so really today we want to just explore a little bit more, get everybody familiar in the Tech Trailblazers world who aren't already familiar with you. And I would imagine that's the majority of people, but let's, I'm sure there will be some insights, some, some, some sides to Stephen, some surprises, at least for some people about you. Um, So firstly, if you could give a brief introduction um, to yourself, a potted history of your your journey through technology from your career perspective. That would be brilliant. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, as some people know who, who've met me, I'm uh, moderately technical. I'm probably more nerdy than technical, but uh, more nerdy than skilled, but I'll take it. Essentially, uh, you know, my, I don't want to get into the whole uh, life story, but essentially, you know, I went to a technical uh, university got a Bachelor of Science degree in the Society and Technology Studies, which studied the interaction on technology, on sociology, in the history of technology. So my, job, my, my degree is actually somewhat related to what I do, which is remarkable in this field. And I, you know, I couldn't get a job doing whatever that is. So I, uh, luckily, we uh, had geeked out with Unix systems back then, and I went and got a systems administrator job. So I basically spent the first 10 years of my career as a uh, Unix systems administrator. I worked on email systems and storage systems and so on. And I know that one of the things that you like to highlight is sort of the inspirations uh, that people have. And I think it's important to call out right away, um, probably one of the most important turning points in my career was one day when I was working as a systems administrator and I was helping uh, one of the executives set up her machine. And she basically stopped and said, you know, do you want to be doing this for your whole life? Because you really could do a lot more than um, basically doing the day-to-day systems administration work. And, you know, I see something in you and I see that you probably could, you know, do more if you reached further. And really that was a turning point for me because I realized that, um, that I wasn't really reaching. I was really just doing, and I was doing basically what I could do. And that's just how it was. And so really almost immediately I went, um, I went and found a new job as a, you know, first in consulting, uh, then in consulting management, and then I started doing more reaching. You know, I set up a situation where I was writing for the new storage magazine from Tech Target. I was invited then to speak at conferences like Storage World Conference and um, Storage Networking World and the Storage Decisions Conference and so on. I did my own seminars, and pretty soon I built, um, you know, myself as a guy who knows and talks about storage and you know really it was you know kind of (laughs) kind of haphazard but uh you know due to luck and and also just due to you know constant effort to try to get myself out there and um you know and I realized that that would really help me later on but I wasn't sure yet how it would help me like I wasn't like you know oh I'm gonna make my money 
writing for magazines. You know, I, I was like, you know, somehow this is going to be good. And, and that was really the, the catalyst for, for where I am now. So, I mean, moving into that, tell us a little bit about what you have been doing recently and what, you know, what kind of brought you to RSA and when we had the opportunity to, to sit and have a quick beer. Um, yeah, so, so uh, basically, after years of, of, of doing this sort of punditry, um, I realized that companies uh, really didn't have a good way to connect with people like me who weren't part of a major publication or a major analyst firm. But yet I saw, and I, I was probably late to see this, but I did see it, the rise of the importance of the internet in terms of marketing and sales and, and, and basically helping companies to, and, and people, individuals to learn and discover products. Um, and that was an opportunity. And so back in um, you know, the 2008 timeframe, I realized that it would be good for us to get together. So I created Gestalt IT, which was basically, the concept was uh, sort of a co-op of bloggers. So I reached out to folks that are familiar to your audience, uh, like Chris Evans and Martin Glassboro, and along with folks outside the storage space, uh, Greg Farrow, uh, Carlo Costanzo in virtualization, Jason Bakke. Um, these were all early folks who are similar to me were basically what we would now call independent technical influencers. They were talking about this stuff, but not as part of uh, a gig, but more as part of, you know, an interest. Mm -hmm. And so we started uh, Gestalt IT. The first idea was that we would get together and, and uh, write joint articles. Um, then we, you know, recorded some videos and audio stuff, but this was, you know, early. So we didn't quite know what to do with that. But luckily, uh, some companies saw the prospects of this. Um, HPE uh, was one of the early companies that saw the value of reaching out to bloggers, uh, as they, they, they called us in the day, even though that's not really all we did. And so, you know, along with like EMC and, and VMware. And so uh, at an HP event, we all got together. And um, at the end of the event, we said, you know, this would be awesome, but it's too bad that only massive companies with massive resources like HP and EMC and Microsoft can do things like this where they have outreach to independence. And so I basically just spontaneously said, I bet I could put something together where anybody could participate. And literally, um, it went from that idea to Tech Field Day in five weeks. You know, when I got home, I spent a couple of days ruminating on it and talking to folks, you know, PR and marketing people along with, um, you know, others in the community and said, if I put it together this way, would this work and got some ideas? And, you know, I called up a friend of mine who ran Storage World Conference, uh, the logistics of that and said, okay, so here's what I want to do. And um, happily, she said, okay, I think we can pull that off. And so Claire Chaplais and I have been working together on Tech Field Day, literally from that, from that day. We started the first Tech Field Day in November, 2009. Uh, during the first presentation, I got a call from EMC saying, when's tech field day number two? Well, there was no tech field day number two, but I said April. And so, um, boom, suddenly there was, uh, it was a thing. Mm. And, um, you know, we were able to do a number of different events. Now we've actually, uh, you know, in the 10 plus years since then, um, we've grown to a company. I just realized we have 11 employees. We have uh, a solid uh, annual revenue stream. We do dozens of events. Um, we also do content creation projects as Gestalt IT, but it really all comes down to that initial idea, which is figuring out how companies 
can work with independent technical influencers. So we build this community of, of folks that we can work with. We focus on them and making sure that what we do is fair to them and beneficial to them and keeps their interests in mind. And then we work with companies to come up with ways that we can all work together to produce content and um, you know, basically uh, marketing content. Mm, got you, absolutely. And, that, and that's how Tech Field Day was born. So Tech Field Day was born. And so I was actually at RSA conference because we recently started a security field day event and uh, we were meeting with security companies and security influencers at the, at the show. Cool. So the concept of this has always been to get people together in a room where the companies that, you know, have subscribed to the, to the, the field day in question, get an opportunity to share, you know, what's coming down the pipe, what they do, you know, whether it's an overview or a particular focus on a product range or a concept. Um, but obviously that's all changed now. So what, what have you seen from that over the last couple of months and how has that impacted how Tech Field Day is now? Yeah, that's an important thing because frankly, um, I wasn't too keen on doing a virtual event. I was very reluctant. Um, the secret of Tech Field Day is the in-person aspect of it. The fact that you bring people on site from around the world, maybe they've never been to Silicon Valley before. You know, you bring them to a startup incubator or a VC firm to hear a presentation from a small company. You bring them to HP's amazing executive briefing center or you know, something like that to, to, for, for, for a large company. You, 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 know, you have companies come in, um, you get to know them. The nothing meets beating in person. Um, when this uh, pandemic hit, it became obvious very quickly that we wouldn't be able to meet in person. And so, frankly, my first reaction was, well, we're not going to do Tech Field Day then, because I didn't think that we could do it. And it was actually up to the, the staff and our video team and the delegates even to convince me that we could pull it off. And, um, and, and they did. And basically, we kind of stepped back, like many people are doing in this time. We stepped back and we looked at what is really essential here. You know, how can we produce a quality deliverable? Because basically, the deliverable of Tech Field Day is the videos that go on YouTube. You know, we now have over 30,000 subscribers. We get thousands of views, millions of views a year. And um, it's important that those videos be compelling and interesting, just like they always are. And so I had to make sure that we could really do that. And the video team figured out a way to do it. Then we had to figure out how to make it valuable to the companies. You know, how do we make sure that we're giving the companies not just the videos, but also the interaction and the publicity and everything else that they're looking for. And, uh, but most importantly for me was figuring out how we can basically give the delegates the community that they need. And that's where they showed me the way because essentially they have come together in this time. Um, you know, we have a Slack channel and, you know, we have people doing, you know, impromptu video calls and checking up on each other. And I realized that the community was much stronger than uh, in-person meetings. And we could all still be there together. We could all still build uh, relationships together. And so we've been trying to build more and more of that um, kind of community ice-breaking group building, you know, things into the virtual environment. Now, of course, things are going to change, um, you know, soon enough aspects of the industry are going to be slowly reopening, you know, companies are going to open their campus. So maybe we can have cameras in the room with the presenters, even if the delegates can't be there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have some other ideas to try to bring people together somewhat in a controlled and safe manner. But overall, we have actually been able to pull off uh, virtual field day events, even during this uh, pandemic. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. 
Yeah. Well, that was actually one of my next question is so what, what over the, the course of the tech field day adventure what is one of your um, proudest moments or proudest achievements? Um, honestly, the, the, the thing that really gets me every time is seeing things come out of tech field day. Yeah. There have been many cases where we've had, so one of the things that happens is once a marketing person or a PR person has been part of field day, you know, generally they like it. And so I'll have them call me up out of the blue and say, Hey, I'm working at this new company and we really want to use field day as our announcement, or we really want to, you know, come to the field day in June or whatever. That's always fun because um, it shows me that, that basically they like, they like this thing. They like me, they like us, they like what we're doing. And at the same time, I really love it when I hear that the delegates are connecting in a way outside of field day. So, you know, packet pushers, um, you know, they had formed before field day, but they definitely come together as a community at field day. Um, the same is true of, you know, the actual tech folks, people like Keith Townsend, um, who are doing just awesome stuff. I love the fact that, that we can leverage this community to build up new businesses and new areas and, and build people up, yeah. not just, you know, record some videos. Well, I got you. So obviously this is going to be your inaugural um, opportunity to get more directly involved with our startups who are putting themselves forward as tech trailblazers. What's going to inspire you and, and catch your attention? Because obviously you get to see an awful lot of new companies through, and hopefully we'll see some of the, you know, the field day startups join in with the whole um, event as well. But what are you going to be looking for, for example, in the storage world that is going to kind of go, hmm, okay, I like that. Well, it's funny. Um, so over the years, uh, you know, we've had, uh, you know, over 150 companies present at Tech Field Day. And people do ask me this. They say, you know, like, 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 could you tell, you know, when, when, uh, you know, first presentations of companies mm -hmm. like Zerto and, uh, you know, 3PAR and Barefoot Networks and stuff, could you tell that this was going to be a big deal? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, I'm not always right. There are many times where I've, you know, had a false positive. You know, I've thought, oh my gosh, this is the next big thing. And for many, one, one reason or another, it just didn't work out. But um, I can't, I don't think I've ever had a false negative. In other words, you see that passion and you see that spark and you see the fact that they know what they're doing. And you say, this is somebody who is building something important, who really believes in that. They have a vision for it and they have the drive yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's going to be uh, interesting to see what um, you uncover during your, uh, your, your, um, your time over the next couple of months. Um, what would you, your advice be? Bearing in mind you have seen lots of presentations. This is not quite the same because this is all done in a written entry. Although we might shake a few things up when we get to the shortlist, but I wouldn't like to do the spoiler on that just yet. What would you say is important for people to bear in mind when they're doing that initial sort of presentation to, to yourself? And, you know, obviously, you know how other influencers work as well. And, you know, many of them are involved in the awards as well. I think that the most important thing is to understand, you know, in the history of technology, the best technology doesn't always win. It's not really about the technology. I mean, you have to have good technology. But the most important thing is that you have to 
know what it is that you've created and you have to understand how it's relevant and useful to customers. Mm. And it has to be something that has a potential market. I can't tell you how many times we've seen, you know, cool technology by visionary founders that frankly, there's no one that wants that thing, or at least maybe nobody that's going to pay for it. And mm. so for me, I want evidence that the company has technology and understands their own technology, but more importantly, that they understand where it's going to be used, how it's going to be used, and how it's going to be valuable to the customers. Because basically for any business, if you're doing something that doesn't produce value, more value than it costs, well, you're not going to be doing it long. Mm. No, absolutely. And obviously, you know, you've, you're an entrepreneur as well, and you know lots of startup founders. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Um, what would be your advice? So, you know, apart from obviously for entering awards like the Tech Trailblazers, which is going to be great for anybody who wants to rise above the crowd and obviously get involved with Tech Field Day, clearly. Um, what would you say is going to be solid advice? Who, who do you think, you know, what are the people who are going to survive through these difficult times, the challenging stuff around raising investment, about securing, you know, your pipeline for sales, what's, what's going to be important, do you think? Well, I think that this, um, in these challenging times, we've mm -hmm. discovered that these challenging times aren't going anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hearing from company after company that they're not planning on having business as usual anytime soon. In fact, many companies have you know, banned in-person meetings for the rest of 2020 and into 2021. Many companies don't plan to have any corporate travel into 2021. Um, I think that the most important thing in these challenging times is that people are able to, to adapt. And some of that is going to be difficult because it's going to mean that they're going to have to maybe cut some of the programs and maybe even some of the positions that they had planned that relied on in-person interaction. Hmm. Um, but some of it's going to be positive because they're going to have to learn how do you basically live in this? Because, you know, you can't just hold on and hope for the best. You have to live in this. We're all living in it and we're going to be living in it for a very long time. So, you know, how are they able to adapt to this new market? How are they able to basically turn the corner with their product, with their marketing, with their sales, uh, with their delivery and, and, and make, make it work despite the fact that things aren't going back to normal? And if a company can do that, I think that that will be very convincing to me. It's mm -hmm. the companies that basically have just stomped on the brakes and said, look, we don't know what's going on. We're just not going to do anything right now. Those are the companies I really worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as they say, you can be on the right track, but if you just sit there, somebody will run you over. <laughs> so, you know, you talked about somebody who had an influence on your career, which was the lady that you, you helped you know, set up her system and she kind of challenged you to, you know, is this, is this it? Um, who has, who was important for you in the early days of your career and what advice did they give you apart from perhaps the one you've already shared? Yeah. So I think that the, um, you know, that, that was important just because it basically got me off my butt and, and got me moving. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, it was earlier in the 2000s when I was attending these conferences, and I started meeting people, just really remarkable people. I'll, I'll just call out, you know, like Steve Duplessis, 
uh, Jeff Barrow, uh, who founded, uh, you know, Drobo and uh, Craig Nunez, you know, all these people showed me that it really wasn't about being someone important. It was about doing. It was about accomplishment. Basically, get the thing done. Um, a great uh, friend of mine, Ned Bellavance, recently recorded a podcast. Uh, he does a daily, great daily video cast where he talked about a conversation that he and I had that the ultimate challenge for anyone in any job is to understand that you're not really there just to do the thing you're told. You're there to contribute. You're there to do the thing, whatever the thing of the business is. And mm -hmm. what I realized from these people, it wasn't about being the loudest or being the most vivacious or the most, you know, buzzworthy or whatever. It was about just getting it done. And, you know, you show up, you try to push the ball forward. And, and not only that, but getting it done for the whole company. And I've realized that you look at some of these people, uh, you know, Brad O'Neill basically saw an opportunity and went for it. And those are the people that have inspired me the most, the people that basically saw an opportunity and didn't just make noise, but they actually did the hard work to make the thing happen. And you know, for me, I'd say that that's the most inspiring thing. Mm. Yeah, I think getting a job done is, is key. I mean, I've noticed on Twitter, obviously, this has been a very turbulent time as well as challenging. And diversity is one of the areas where we are very keen to kind of acknowledge, you know, we have a male and female tech trailblazer. Um, and I know that you, that's something you're very passionate about. What do you think can make a difference? I mean, is diversity the solution to helping address the skills gap? Is it what is really going to unlock innovation for us? You know, what, what would you say about that? I would absolutely say so. And again, this is one of the things you can see when at Tech Field Day, when we go on site, basically, if a company is homogenous, um, it's usually also um, bogged down and not as productive as it could be. For me, I have a, a rule that when we're hiring, I'm not interested in hiring anyone's friends. I don't want referrals from staff. I want people people don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing that I would say to companies. Stop with the internal referrals. Stop recruiting from your college because that's not going to help you. Not only will it not help you to be diverse, but it won't have, help you to have diversity of thought and creativity and dynamism that you need in order to succeed. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that um, essentially by by limiting your recruiting pool to only one type of person, you are effectively eliminating the thoughts and ideas of literally the majority of other people, whether it's simply, you know, just men or just white men or just people that went to college, you know, the, the top colleges in California or where or whatever. Um, you're, you're really limiting your prospects by doing that. Mm. And so what I found is that the best way to address the problem of diversity is just to explode that whole uh, friends and family nature of recruiting. And, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, to field day, many of our recommendations for delegates uh, come from other delegates, but they all understand that we're looking outside the box. I don't want to just bring in the same people every time, you know, we have a goal of bringing in, you know, three, four new people, for every event. Now, we don't always meet that, but we have a goal to do that. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you have to explicitly look first outside the box. In other words, um, you know, it's not that there's a, a quota that, oh, well, we need a woman delegate. It's that you have to start by looking for women delegates 
or African-American delegates or delegates from countries that are not often represented. I mean, I'm always shocked how many like, um, you know, people from South America or Africa or, you know, other places that we don't look for are doing cool and interesting things and thinking cool and interesting thoughts. Well, maybe we just look, it would help. And so, so that's the second thing. So the first thing is blow up the box. The second thing is intentionally start outside the box before you go into the box. You know, okay, so we didn't find any women. We didn't find any people of color. Okay, well then, you know, let's look at the, at the other applicants. It's not about accepting someone who's not qualified. It's about making sure that you're looking for the people who are qualified and don't happen to be top of mind. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, to look at the future, um, some slightly different questions. We've covered an awful lot of quite... I wouldn't say difficult, but I would say kind of very big topics. Um, Sort of a bit more lighthearted because I think it's always good to kind of lift things up as we sort of close off um, Judges on Fire. Um, If you were a superhero, who would you be? I can see it, I guess it'll be the, uh, or not necessarily superhero, it doesn't have to be necessarily Marvel could be inspired by George Lucas, perhaps. <laughs> oh, I would definitely be Buckaroo Banzai. And before you say, well, he's not a superhero, he totally is. He is a rock star, he's a brain surgeon, he's the world's fastest man, and he drove a car through a mountain. That's who I'd be. Fantastic. Well, I can't, I'm not gonna argue with you on that one, Stephen. Definitely not. Quickly Googling who he is. <laughs> who is he? <laughs> He must be something from an American comic that I don't know. I'm going to leave that as an exercise to the reader, but let me tell you, okay. uh, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension is one of the most underappreciated movies in the history of film. I will be trying to find that on YouTube straight after we speak. Um, and I guess, looking futuristically, what do you think is going to be a big innovation. So it doesn't have to necessarily be in the kind of the traditional world that we operate in, in enterprise, B2B technology and data centers in the cloud. What do you think is gonna be the next, not necessarily the next big thing, but a next big thing? Well, I don't wanna sound too cliched and I know everybody's talking about it, but I don't know if they get the big picture. I'm gonna say 5G. And the reason is not because it makes our cell phones faster. The Mm. reason is because it fundamentally transforms the way communication works. By having a massive distributed network of compute infrastructure and communications infrastructure all over the world, and by having a massive growth in the number of endpoint connected devices, I feel like that is going to transform things the way that very few things have. Um, I wrote a blog post back in, I don't know, 2002 or three or something saying that mobility was the mega trend of the future. And and I still say that. I mean, you know, at the time, there was no such thing as basically mobile networking, mobile communications. Mm -hmm. Well, now nobody can live without mobile communications. I think 5G is going to really take that to the next level. And like I said, it's it's not because it's faster. I get so tired of hearing that. It's not maybe faster. It's just more ubiquitous. And not only that, it's more decentralized and distributed. And I think that that's really the thing that's going to happen. So if you think we're all addicted to our phones now, just wait till we are addicted to the 
internet of everything connected with 5G. Mm, fantastic. So, well, we welcome you to the Tech Trailblazers family, Stephen. It's an absolute pleasure. We've, we've known each other for a long time, so it's great to, to be working a bit more closely together. So, um, yeah, thank you for your time today. And I'm, I'm sure that everybody has got some insights, even if they think that they know you well. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much.